We'll begin with a couple verses from 1 Peter. We'll then read Matthew chapter 4 again as we did last week. And then we'll finish with a reading from the Gospel of Luke. Peter writes, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And again, Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, It is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. The devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Now the gospel of Luke beginning in verse one of chapter 22. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. When you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. This is the word of the Lord. And please be seated. Charity Lees Smith was born in Dublin, Ireland on June 21st, 1841. There's not a lot that we know about her life. We know that she was the fourth child born to an Anglican minister. Uh, we know that she was widowed twice and eventually settled in the United States before her death. And we know that she was just 22 years old when she wrote these words. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within. Upwards I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Do you recognize those words? If you were with us last week, we sang those words together. They're the lyrics to a hymn before the throne of God above. What a lot of people don't realize is those words were not written by Isaac Watts or Charles Wesley or Martin Luther, or Vicki Cook, or the Gettys, or Shane and Shane. Those words were written by a young woman at just 22 years of age who knew that we were in a war. You see, every word is the exact same that we sing today, except for one thing. We have titled that hymn, Before the Throne of God Above, Charity Lee Smith gave it a different title. She called it, the Advocate, and it's a much better title. You see, an advocate is somebody who fights on behalf of another. 
And what I think Charity Lee Smith recognized at just 22 years old is that we are at war. And though you and I now live every single day trying to avoid that war at all costs, she knew that we have an enemy. We have an adversary. His name is Satan. He is the devil. And he is prowling around like a lion seeking to devour us. But what she also recognized is we are not in this war alone. We have an advocate and his name is Jesus Christ. He died and he rose again and he now lives to fight for you and to fight for me. And one day he will come again and he will conquer the devil once and for all. Last week, we looked at who the devil is and what he does. Specifically, we looked at three strategies from Matthew chapter 4, the story of Christ being tempted in the wilderness. We saw that the devil, Satan, is an accuser. He's a liar and he's a tempter. This week, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 4 again, and specifically, we're going to look at Christ's response. We will see that in the victory of Jesus Christ, we find our victory over sin, death, and the schemes of the devil himself. That as we go to the cross of Christ, we will see that we have life, that we have truth, and that we have glory. And in all these things, as the Apostle Paul says, we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loves us. So the first way that we resist the devil is by going to the cross and seeing that in the cross there is life. Look with me. 1 Peter 5 verse 8, it's there in your bulletin. Peter says this, it's a warning. He says, be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And then in verse 9, he gives this command. He says this, resist him. Resist the devil. Okay, Peter, how do we do that? If we have an enemy, an adversary, the devil, who is lurking in the shadows, who wants nothing more to be hidden from our sight and to provoke and attack us, how do we resist an enemy like that? It's the same kind of language that James uses, James 4, verse 7. He says, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. In the Greek, the word resist here, it's a word for defending yourself. Not so much as it attack, but it's defend yourself, take up arms. The idea is that we would know who we are. And whose we are in Christ Jesus. And more than anything else that we would know that he has already won the war. Let me show you what I mean. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by the devil. Matthew chapter 4 verse 3 we're told this. That the tempter came to Jesus and said, If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And as we saw last week, the very name Satan means accusation. He is an accuser and he's coming after Jesus and he's accusing him of being a fraud, being a phony. He says, if you are the son of God, 
It's exactly how he comes after you and me as Christ's followers this morning. I wonder, do you feel that way sometimes as a follower of Jesus Christ? Do you feel like a fraud? Do you feel like a phony? You see, the devil is accusing you and accusing me in the same way he accused Jesus. He's saying, you are not worthy to become a son or daughter of God. You are guilty. You are condemned and you are shameful and you have no business being counted among the saints, the people of God. Do you hear the voice of the accuser this morning? You see, not only does he want to move us to despair and grief, but he wants nothing more for us to try to conquer our own sense of guilt. You see, he wants us to face his accusation alone. He wants us to find life and worth and value apart from the cross of Christ. So he comes after Jesus. He says, well, prove yourself. Turn these stones to bread. He comes after us and he says, prove yourself. Fix yourself. Rescue yourself. Find life on your own because you are not worthy for the cross. Brothers and sisters, do not give in to the accusation of the devil. Jesus responds in this way. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus Christ said, I am the bread of life and anyone who eats of me will live forever. Where are you finding life this morning? Are you trying to rescue yourself? Because if you are, it's highly likely that you are responding to the accusation of the devil who wants nothing more to try to separate you from the cross of Jesus Christ. Are you finding worth and value in what you do, in your job, in your success at it? Maybe you hear the devil's accusation that you're not worth a whole lot. Do you try and find worth and value in your ability to be a mom who has it all together or a dad who's able to provide? Could it be that you are hearing the accusation of the devil? Are you trying to find worth and value in your ability as a Christian to serve the right way, to know the right things, to act a certain way? Could it be that the devil is trying to get you to clean yourself up, to try to find life in your own worth and ability? Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is the bread of life. There is no place that we find life apart from him. There is life in the cross and in the cross alone. And so how do we respond when the devil's accusing us? when he is hurling and holding our guilt over our heads. We lay those accusations at the foot of the cross. You see, the devil, if we're going to be honest this morning, is actually half right. We are guilty. And apart from Jesus Christ, we do stand condemned. Apart from Jesus Christ, we deserve the wrath of God. But thanks be to God who has given us victory through Jesus Christ. And so we can now hear the accusations of the devil and say, you know what? You're right. 
but in Christ I have life. Martin Luther said it this way. He says, when the devil throws our sins to us and declares we deserve death and hell, we ought to say to him this, I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? Does this mean I will be sentenced to eternal damnation? By no means. For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the son of God. Where he is, there I shall be also. What is Luther saying? He's saying any accusation that the devil can throw at you has already been conquered by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Have you trusted in him? His death, his resurrection for your salvation, all who believe in him will have life and have it abundantly. The second way that we resist the scheme of the devil is this. We see that there is truth in the cross. Peter follows the command to resist the devil with an encouragement. It's an exhortation. This is what he says. Look with me. 1 Peter 5 verse 9, he says, resist the devil. And then he says, be firm in your faith. Now, this is vitally important for us this morning to see the connection because there's no way that we can possibly resist the devil without recognizing that we must have a strong, rooted faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In order to resist the devil's lies, we must be able to speak back to him the truth of the gospel. Again, we see this in the temptation of Jesus, Matthew chapter 4, verse 5. It says, the devil took Jesus to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. And then he quotes to Jesus scripture of all things. Psalm 91. He commanded his angels concerning you and all their hands. He will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. That's exactly what the devil does. The word devil, as we saw last week, means liar. He's a slanderer. He takes the word of God and he twists it in our hearts and minds and he lies to us to keep us from going to the cross. Deception is at the core of who the devil is. That's why Jesus himself called him the father of lies. And he has been lying to us as God's people from the very beginning. To Adam and Eve, he came to them and he lied. And he said, did God really say? a deceitful question that now echoes in our minds as we struggle to live in a world that no longer believes there is any such thing as truth. That's where we find ourselves. Friedrich Nietzsche said it best. And he said, there's no such thing as facts. There's only interpretations. And today we live in a world where there's no such thing as absolute truth. What's true for you might be different than what is true for me. Truth in our culture is seen through the eyes of the beholder. And so in a world where truth is questioned, it should not surprise us that we have a hard time trusting a God who claims to be the truth. And so we hear the voice of the liar. Did God really say? And so we find ourselves questioning God and his character. We question his goodness when we lose a loved one to cancer. We question his sovereignty and power when we lose a job or we struggle to make ends meet. 
We struggle and we question his love when he seems so far off and so far away. Did God really say? That's a lie that comes straight from the pit of hell. The devil's lying to you. He's calling you to question the authority of God and he is twisting his word so that you would not believe him. Notice how Jesus responds. Jesus says this, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. In other words, never question the promises of God. See, because the promises of God have been vindicated. His truth has come true for us at the cross. He died and he rose again. And what is more is he now lives to intercede for us. He is our advocate and he is pleading before the throne on your behalf. You see, I think Peter, when he said, resist the devil, be firm in your faith, I think he was writing from experience. And we see this all too well in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22. It's there in your bulletin. You see, Jesus knew. He came to Peter and he said, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter thought that that would be impossible. But lo and behold, he gave in to the devil's lies. Did God really say? And when he saw his leader be arrested and led to the cross, he began to question his mind, the goodness, sovereignty, and majesty of God. Did God really say? And so when he was asked, Peter, do you know Jesus Christ? He said, no, I don't know him. Three times he denied knowing Jesus Christ at all. Notice how Jesus describes that encounter. Luke 22, he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. Peter, you're going to deny me because Satan wants to devour you. And then notice what Jesus says. But I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And then notice what he says. When, not if, but when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. In other words, the reason why Peter was able to overcome a failure of this magnitude to go on and resist the devil and be a conduit through which Jesus Christ built the church is because Christ himself was an advocate for Peter. He was praying to the Lord on his behalf that his faith may not fail. How do we resist against the devil and his lies? We have an advocate in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Did God really say? He did say. He said it is finished when he died on the cross. So finally, the third thing I want us to see this morning, the way that we resist the devil is through the glory of the cross. 1 Peter 5 verse 10 says this. Peter says, after you've suffered a little while, the God of grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. In other words, you are going to suffer and you are not alone, but God will establish you. He will strengthen you. Why? Because he has called you to an, an eternal glory in Christ. What does that mean? How do we describe the glory of Jesus Christ? 
I must admit to you, describing the glory of God is a very difficult task. It's like trying to describe a sunset to somebody who has never seen color or describing a storm to who has never heard a thunder. The glory of God, as best as I could put it, is the supreme beauty, majesty, and splendor of his perfection. To glorify God is to worship him and give him the honor and adoration that is due to his name. Isaiah says we were created for the glory of God. The Apostle Paul said that whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, we should do it unto the glory of God. The first question of the Westminster Short of Catechism asks, what is the chief end of man? In other words, what's the meaning of life? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. And so if all of life is about God's glory, it should not surprise us that that is the very thing that Satan targets. He wants it for himself. He is the ultimate glory thief. He is a robber and he wants the glory of God for himself. And so he goes after our hearts and he tempts us to worship other things than the God of the universe. He tempts us to glory and lesser things. So we find ourselves tempted, don't we? Tempted to glorify things like money and success and power and sex. We find ourselves tempted to glorify things like doubt and fear and anxiety. We find ourselves to glorify things like wealth and prestige. It's the essence of idolatry that we would find glory in things other than God. So what do we do? What do we do when we recognize that the devil is not just trying to tempt our morality, but he's trying to tempt our very souls. He's going after our hearts. He's trying to rob the glory of God. How do we respond to temptation like that? This is what Jesus says. He says, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. You see, the devil led Jesus up to a mountain. He showed him the glory of all the world had to offer. He was going after his worship. And Jesus responds this way, leave, because we are called to worship God alone. The greatest way that we fight against the schemes of the devil is through worship. Worship is a weapon. It is spiritual warfare. It is where we go to do battle against the schemes of the devil himself. When we gather together on a morning like this as God's people, we gather together to worship God, to declare that he is holy, that he is mighty, that he is good, that he is sovereign, and that he is Lord over all. When we are doing that, we are glorifying God for who he is and we are putting the devil in his place because he has no match and no power and nothing to compare to the glory of the cross. Worship is where we do battle. Every song, every piece of liturgy, every part of this service is designed to put the devil right where he belongs as a vanquished, conquered foe.
So how do we do that? Practically, what does that look like for us this morning? Well, when we worship Jesus Christ, we're calling Satan's bluff. You see, we do not believe in dualism. We do not believe that there are equal parts, good and evil, in the world around us. We believe in the supremacy and majesty and authority of God. And more than anything else, we know how the story ends. John tells us as much in the book of Revelation, chapter 12. It's where we're going to end this morning. John writes, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and authority of his Christ have come. The accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. He accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for their love, not their lives, even unto death. Therefore, rejoice. Rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. One day Christ will come again. And he will conquer our adversary, the devil, once and for all. Until that day comes, rejoice, worship, fall down at the foot of the cross and bask in the glory of salvation. There is nothing that this world can offer us that could possibly offer what the cross does. You are loved and you have been fought for. Jesus Christ died. Jesus Christ rose again so that you could have life. And now he lives to intercede for you that your faith would not fail, that you would believe the truth of the gospel in the face of the devil's lies. And now he's given us glory. Glory with the knowledge that he died and he rose again and now he lives to fight for you. He is your advocate And one day he will come again and he will conquer the devil once and for all. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to put this into practice. So I invite you now to stand. And I want you to join me in prayer. We're going to sing together a song that we have sung many, many times before. But this time as we sing, lift your eyes up to heaven and recognize what we are doing together. We are declaring the victory that we have in Christ alone. Therefore, he has set us free from the schemes of Satan himself. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you sent us your only son, Jesus Christ, to die and to rise again so that all who believe in him would have life. God, we claim that life for ourselves this morning, all those who believe in you. We pray that you would fill us with the truth and the hope that we have of the gospel. We pray now that as we worship your name, both in song and as we leave, that we would glory, revel, and awe and wonder and worship at the cross of Jesus Christ. It is in the victory of the cross that we now stand. Amen.